0: Hello and welcome to Empire Builders, the place for entrepreneurs, business owners, and experts who want to build an epic empire. I'm Nick James, and thanks for joining me here today. In this episode, we're revisiting previously unreleased footage of Tom Bilyeu's keynote presentation from Expert Empires 2019. This presentation was absolutely incredible. Tom certainly bought the fire. Um, He shared a detailed account of how he built Quest Nutrition to be the international powerhouse that it is today, and also how he's built Impact Theory, his YouTube channel and his podcast, to build his personal brand to reach millions of people. Um, Not only did he give a keynote presentation, there was also an intimate Q&A with our audience after. All uh, all, All of that footage is here in today's episode. So, uh, take it away. I hope you enjoy it.
1: Make some noise for Tom Villeux! What's up, everybody? What is up? All right. We have precious little time together, so we're gonna have to go fast. My hope is always at the end of these that I can impart the kind of information that's actually going to change your life The reality is, in fact, let me ask a question. How many born entrepreneurs do we have in the house? (laughs) All right, we got a few. We got a few. We got some laughs. Not sure what to make of the laughs. My thing is, I am very much not a born entrepreneur. And so the moral of my story is it doesn't matter who you are today. It just matters who you want to become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. And if I can get people to believe that, if I can get people to see that that really is true, that there really is a path from where you are today to where you want to become and understanding what that path is and then crossing the chasm, because it is a chasm of skill set that stands between who you are and who you want to become. And if it is only a chasm of skill set, then that's something that you guys can take daily steps towards actually making the change that you want to make to get across that chasm. But for most people, there's a mistaken belief that you're born with something. You either are or you aren't. Now, the complex nature of this is none of us are blank slates. It's not like you can have any skill that you want, that we all start in the same place and you can become... You know, literally anything, and it's gonna be just as easy for you as it is for the next person. So, you do have to have an awareness of what you're good at, what you get disproportionate returns from. But I'm hoping in telling you my story, you guys are going to understand just how much you can change, just how radically your life will alter when you change your mindset, which then changes the way that you behave which changes the things that you do, which changes the things that you learn, and then once you go down that sequence, you can actually do things other people can't do. My mission in life is to get people to understand a simple fact about skills. Skills have utility. You don't get a skill because you want to check off a box. You don't read a book because you want to put it on your shelf. You acquire a skill because you want to be able to do something. You want to be able to do something that matters to you. I always tell people, close your eyes, imagine a world that's better than this world. Now open your eyes, go out and get the skills that will let you actually make that happen. That's what life is about. The very meaning of life to me is finding out how many, how much of your potential you can turn into actual skills. That's the name of the game. That's what you guys are here to do. You're here to find out how much of your potential you can actually turn into usable skills. Can you build a house? Can you write a book? Can you market? Can you teach? Whatever it is, whatever the thing is that you want to do, you can get extraordinary at that thing, but it is going to demand an exceptional price. And most people are not willing to pay that price. All right, so my story begins. I'm leaving for college. I had cheated all the way through high school, by the way, so we won't uh, worry about what my grades, I actually got great grades in high school. I just didn't earn any of them. And I'm about to leave for college, and I have this moment of panic. I was one of the only two people in my graduating class in Tacoma, Washington, which I doubt anybody in this audience has heard of, but in this small little town, Only two people in my graduating class were leaving the state. Everybody else was going to go to the same couple of schools. And I panicked. I didn't want to leave. I didn't know anybody down in Los Angeles. And my mom said, absolutely not. You were going to go to that school. You're going to chase your dreams. And basically kicked me out of the house at 18. Now, the great irony of my life is she spent every day since trying to get me back. And one day, I actually asked her, and I said, Mom, all right, look, what gives? I never would have left. If you hadn't kicked me out of the house, I would have gone to the state school. I would have stayed nice and close. I would have exactly what you wanted. You'd be able to spend all this time. So why did you kick me out? Now, my mom, who's always been my biggest cheerleader, turned to me and said, oh, I just always thought you were going to fail. I was like, oh, shit. I had no idea. The whole time, you were telling me I could do anything I wanted to do, that I needed to chase my dreams, but you actually thought I was going to fail? And she was like, yeah, you used to say that you were going to be rich, and we used to laugh about it behind your back, because we thought, no way. This kid's so fucking lazy, literally never going to happen. But she never told me that. She'd always encouraged me. So when she kicked me out of the house, told me to chase my dreams, I went and chased my dreams. Later. I asked my best friend, what did you think? Like when I was in high school, what did you think was going to happen? And he said, oh, I just always assumed you were going to marshmallow your way through life. And I was like, whoa. And then this was the, the hardest one for sure. When I met the woman who's now my wife and I fell in love and I thought, whoa, I'm going to marry this chick. But I, she's old school. Her dad's this old school Greek guy. And this is all happening here in London, by the way. And she's, I knew that before I could ask her, I was going to have to get her father's blessing. I made three appointments to see him. Each appointment, he canceled. The third appointment he canceled, he said, oh, my other daughter has a spider bite. I have to go deal with it. And I was like, man, come on. This guy knows exactly why I'm trying to come over. So one night, I'd had a really bad day. And my wife knew I had a bad day. And I we're living at her mom's house in the bedroom that my now wife grew up in and I walk into the bedroom, and there's this carpet picnic laid out for me. And it was so incredible to be known and seen and understood like that, and to have somebody cheer you up, and it becomes this just amazing moment for us. And I end up writing this poem and lipstick on our body, and it was just like this incredible, like sexy moment. It was so rad. And I looked at her and I said, this is not gonna make any sense, but I have to leave right now. She was like, okay. I get dressed, I literally run out the door. Luckily, her dad lived in walking distance. I run to his house, I knock on the door. Andreas, I have something I want to ask you. Okay, come in. I want your blessing to marry your daughter. And he said, no. He said, Tom, I came from a very small village in Cyprus. I've worked my ass off my entire life and I've become very successful. My daughters become used to a certain lifestyle. How do you plan to take care of my daughter? And I said, sir, I know what you see is a young, broke kid. At the time, I didn't even have a job. That did not help. (laughs) But one day, I'm going to make your daughter a very rich woman. And he said, be that as it may, you don't have my blessing. I said, Okay, I understand that. But just to let you know, I am going to propose to your daughter, which I did. And it became a problem. My father-in-law has always been very kind to me, but he was not afraid to say that he did not think I was going to be the person to give her the life that she deserved. Now, those are three people that knew me very, very well. My mom, my best friend, and my future father-in-law. And all three of them gave me a vote of no confidence. I was not the person that anyone expected to be successful. I was not voted most likely to succeed. After I graduated college, I ran through a string of dead-end jobs. I used to refer to myself as the king of remedial jobs. I would only apply at places. If I thought I would be the smartest person there, in the interview I was always hoping and praying that I would get them to say the following. Why are you even applying for this job? You're too smart for this. I lived for that. I was so insecure and so afraid that I wasn't smart that I just constantly put myself in these smaller and smaller rooms because I wanted to be told that I was smart. Now, the important thing to understand is I'm not being humble. That is the truth of where I was. There was nothing exceptional about me. There was a reason nobody expected me to do anything with my life. There was a reason that my mother, who wanted me to succeed more than anything, who told me I could and would succeed. There is a reason that secretly she believed that I wouldn't. There is a reason that the man entrusted to make sure that his daughter had a better life took one look at me and said, over my dead body. They had accurately identified me. When I tell that story, people always think that, oh, they just, they misunderstood. They didn't see. But, you know, you were really the diamond in the rough. I'm here to tell you that is not true. There was nothing special about me. I am still to this day, I am hopelessly average, and I have some really great news for you. Odds are you're hopelessly average too. So if your whole life people have been giving you a message that you're special, and that's why things are going to work out for you, I'm going to tell you right now, shit is going to work out for you, but not because you're special. It's gonna work out for you because you are an average human being. But being an average human being, you are the ultimate adaptation machine. And your life is going to be one thing and one thing only. It is going to be a series of tests that will find out how much resolve you have to get great. The reason that humans became the ultimate apex predator is for a very simple reason. Nature has two choices. When evolving a species, do we pre program everything or do we pre program as little as humanly possible? A horse. Most of it is pre programmed. That's why the horse comes out and 20 minutes later it's walking around. Think about a baby. The baby is born. It can't hold its own head up. It shits in its own pants. It can't speak, can't do anything. It is literally a lump of flesh that clings to you for dear life for years. We have any parents in the crowd? Think about how long those fuckers are needy. (laughs) It's crazy. But what's happening is they're learning. They're a learning machine. Now, because we learn easiest when we're young, we have developed the mistaken belief that we don't learn when we get old, which is how people fall into a trap of believing you're either born with it or you're not. Now, we're all born with different stuff, even from the jump. Some people just pick things up faster than others. If you have two kids, they will be wildly different, and nothing shocks parents more than the divergent personalities of their children. But kids are wildly divergent. We're all wildly divergent, but we all have one thing in common. The evolutionary strategy that has led you to dominate this planet in a way no other species ever has in hundreds of millions of years is we are the ultimate adaptation machine. That is the strategy that our species took, the ability to go into any environment, know nothing about it, and then adapt to that environment. Culture stacks. Culture stacks. Reading a book changes your abilities reading a book will actually begin to rewire your brain. Anything that you think over and over and over will actually change the physical structures of your brain. I could put you in an FMRI machine, read how your brain is signaling and tell you whether you play the piano or the violin. That shit is true. All I have to do is look at how your hands light up your brain. Because if you play the violin, you only have massive dexterity in one hand. If you play the piano, you have it in two. That shit is registered in your brain. I can see it in the amount of gray matter that you have. You're fucking brain didn't come pre-programmed like that. You don't play the piano because your brain was like that. Your brain became like that because you played the piano. So if you want to be an entrepreneur, your job is to change your brain to make that set of skills more efficient, to be good at that thing. But you have to believe that that is the truth. It's what I call the only belief that matters. Only one thing really matters. If you believe it, your life will be unendingly different. And you will understand how the punchline of my story becomes me building a billion dollar company. How I go from nobody, not even the people who know me and love me the most, nobody believed in me to it not mattering who believed in me because I had the fucking skill set. Performance wins, man. It doesn't matter what people think about you. If you can outperform them, you can win. The only belief that matters is that you can get better. That the human in mind is literally designed to improve. That the more time and energy you put into deliberate practice, deliberate practice. The more time and energy you put into getting better, you will be rewarded with an improvement in skill set. Going back to the earlier thing that I said, and those skills have utility. They let you do things. And when you can outperform people, you can win. In fact, the very reason that I'm on this stage now is not because I built a business. The reason that I'm on this stage now is because I built a social media channel. I did an interview show That was the thing that got me famous. That was the thing that got people sending invitations to be at places like this. And when I got into it, I was told by someone, almost everybody in this room will know for sure, Tom, it's already played out. All the players are there. There's no way to get in now. And I looked him in the eye and I said, dude, let me tell you one simple truth about life. There is always room for the best. Don't clap too loud, because now you got to become the best. And that shit is hard, and people don't want you to be the best. They want to be the best. They want to hold you back. They want to outperform you. But when you embrace that, when you fall in love with the process of getting that good, then shit gets interesting. And I always tell people, forget about the championship ring. Focus on getting so good, you can deliver a championship performance. That's interesting. The championship ring is not that interesting. Maybe you'll win one, maybe you won't. But you can get that good. You can get so good that your destiny now is in your hands because you have the skills to execute. So my business career began because I wanted to get into filmmaking. But I didn't know how to do it. I graduated college, felt lost, I felt hopeless, I was in my early 20s, and I had no sense of how to start my career. I was sleeping on an air mattress that would deflate every night. For a while, I slept on the air mattress that deflated every night in a closet. I had to put dirty clothes under the bed so that when it deflated, I wouldn't wake up on the bar that the uh, closet door ran along. And that was my life. And I would come home after work, I used to sell insurance door to door. I sold video games retail. This is all after college. And I would lay on the floor with my face smashing into this really cheap vinyl carpet. And I just thought, what the fuck? Like how do I get ahead? How do I do this? How do I make this happen? I I have no sense. And then I started reading about the brain because I was getting worried that I was sliding towards depression. And I had this overwhelming sense that I had been born. Has anybody seen the movie Amadeus? All right, in the movie Amadeus, there's a character named Solieri. Solieri has a soliloquy that he says to God. This is a real character, by the way. And Solieri is a contemporary of Mozart. And he says to God, God, why have you made me just good enough that I can see and truly appreciate how much better Mozart is. And that he laments, it would have been better to be dumb and to not know how good he was, to not suffer in my inadequacy, because I would be blind to it. And I used to refer to myself as Solieri. I felt like I had been made just smart enough to realize how much smarter other people were that other people were meant for something great, but I wasn't. And then I started reading about the brain. And I came across this concept called brain plasticity. And at the time, this is the late 90s. In the late 90s, it was a hotly debated topic. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? Or is it that, nah, you're born with the neurons that you're born with and you're just going to lose them as you age. And so this is one sort of slide, this in essence, whatever you're born with, it's about optimizing around that and making the best life out of what you've been given. That was one view. The other view is, no, 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 come on. Cells are being produced in the brain your entire life. Now it depends on what environment they're born into. If you're sedentary or if you're not doing anything, If you're not learning new things, if you're not pushing yourself, then yes, those new neurons are not applied to anything and you don't get any better. But if you know how to create the adapt or die response, anybody that's ever worked out in the gym and transformed their physique, you know what that's like. You're pushing yourself so hard, your body has no choice. Adapt or die. If you're doing that with your mind, you can learn new skills, no matter what your age is. You can always, at any age, get better at something, at anything. It's just all going to demand that you pay that price, that you put yourself into that survival mode, that you're going after it so hard that your body has no other choice. And so I made a decision. And the key word here is decision. I made a decision that I was choosing to believe that brain plasticity was real. And if brain plasticity was real, then I had the only belief that mattered, which was if I put time and energy into getting better, I will get better. Now, why is that the only belief that matters? Because if you don't believe it, you don't go out to learn. And if you're not out trying to learn and getting into an adapt or die mode, then you won't learn. And you will see that, oh, look there, I knew it. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm exactly the same as I was when I was 14. But if you choose to believe it and pursue it and go after it, then you can start to get better. I ended up meeting these two entrepreneurs. They hired me as a copywriter. And they said, look, we look for partners. We settle for employees. So don't think of yourself as a copywriter. You can have any job in this company that you want. But you've got to become the right person for the job. Now, by then, I was all the way in on self-development was learning about getting better. I was learning about skill acquisition. I was pushing myself. I was reading. I was trying to improve my skill set. So I took them very seriously, and I worked my way up. And I went from copywriter to chief marketing officer. They made me an owner in the company. They gave me actual equity just through not wanting to lose me. I did that for about eight and a half years. I chased money. They say a fool never learns. A smart man learns from his mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. Now, I've often been a fool, much to my dismay. I've occasionally been smart, but I've rarely been wise. I'm hoping in what I'm about to say, some of you will be wise. Remember, I had told my wife, I'm going to make you rich. I told my father-in-law, I'm going to make your daughter rich. I told my friends, my family, everybody growing up, I'm going to get rich one day. And here I was, on paper, I was worth about $2 million, so technically I had made it, but there's a big difference between being wealthy on paper and being wealthy in your bank account, which not a lot of people understand. There's a very big functional difference, and I was so emotionally distraught. I was showing up every day just trying to chase money. I didn't care about the product. I didn't care about the customer I was trying to serve, and it was really beginning to drain me. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, how is it possible that I'm living the cliche of money can't buy happiness? It's a joke. So I went to my wife and I said, look, I know I promised I would make you rich, but I'm gonna need a little more time. I need to step back. I need to feel alive again. I am so profoundly unhappy that this just isn't worth it anymore. And my wife said, I bet on you. And so I went in and I quit. And I said, look, here's your equity back. I'm not going to cross the finish line. So I don't want to get anything for this. But I need to go do something that makes me feel alive. And then they said, what are now the sort of famous words in my life, we could do this without you, but we don't want to. So what would it take for us to keep moving forward together? And the answer to that question was Quest Nutrition. For three very different reasons, we decided that we were going to sell the old company and start a new company that was focused on adding value to people's lives, that was something that we could be passionate about, something that we believed in. Because I had realized one fundamental truth, and this is something I really want you guys to burn into your nervous system. If you're taking notes, write this down. The struggle is guaranteed. The success is not. The struggle is guaranteed, but the success is not. Some of you are going to spend your whole lives busting your ass for a dream that is never going to come true. So you better love the struggle. You better believe in what you're fighting for. And my dad gave me a plaque. And that plaque said, find something you would die for and live for it. And I thought, this is one of those cheesy roadside signs that you see in like an antique shop, but I'm gonna let this guide my life. And so I put it up in my office, and I thought about it all the time. There's a Mother Teresa quote that says, Nobody will act for the many, but people will act for the one. And so I started thinking about my mom and my sister, and I pledged myself to end metabolic disease, that the next company was gonna be about building community around a mission to end metabolic disease. And I knew that I could show up every day fighting for my mom and my sister. My mom and my sister were morbidly obese. They had been my entire life. And I wanted to create food that they could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. Now, if any of you have tried to start a business, you know how brutally difficult it can be. And I knew that when it got really hard, when it was 2 a.m. on a Friday night, and my knuckles were bleeding from trying to repair a piece of equipment, trying to save a batch at a time in our company's growth where we could not afford to lose a batch, that in those moments, thinking of my mom and my sister were going to be the things that propelled me forward. And so with that, we embarked on building this company, doing everything differently, thinking about value creation, not thinking about just profitability. Now, look, you have to be business savvy. There's no way around that. You have to figure out how to really run a business. But we had that, we'd been running a business for quite some time. So now it was time to marry it with purpose, with a mission, with something that we actually cared about, was saying the truth of the human condition is passion matters, passion gives you energy. And so we wanna do something that we're passionate about. And so we went all the way in on that, doing things everyone told us we were crazy, which I have very much gotten used to in my life. But if you can outperform, you can win. And so we just said, we're going to solve problems other people consider fundamentally unsolvable. And so we had a few key breakthroughs that allowed us to go from not existing to being valued at over a billion dollars in five years, all self-funded. And the reason we were able to do that was because we had that passion. We believed in what we were doing. We were creating something. It was a zero-to-one event. No one had ever created a bar like that before. And we must have asked ourselves a hundred times, why not? Why hadn't somebody created it? It was so obvious. Make a bar that tastes like it has sugar in it, but doesn't. It's certainly easy to do at home, so why is it so hard to get it manufactured? And we realized there's a very simple logical reason that all of the equipment in the last 70 years has grown up, been engineered, and designed to work with high fructose corn syrup. The moment you take the high fructose corn syrup out, which is sugar, the texture of the bar changes just enough that all of the available equipment no longer works. So now you can make them with a rolling pin and cut it by hand, and we were doing that for a while, or you can engineer your own equipment. So skill acquisition. When we went to what are called co-manufacturers, companies, they don't have their own brand, but they make products for other brands. We went to them and they all said, this bar cannot be made. You need to add high fructose corn syrup. Every person in human history before us that got to that point and heard, you need to add high fructose corn syrup, did it. And that's exactly what opened that, that opportunity up for us. What we did was say, well, we can learn how to engineer equipment. And so we did because we had such blinding belief that you can learn anything. We had this vision. Humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. Sure, we don't know how to do this yet, but we can learn how to do this. There's literally nothing that we can't learn if we're willing to put in the time and the energy. And so we took the time and the energy and we built the equipment, we engineered new equipment, we engineered new ways to do this. We did the same thing on the social and marketing side. We were doing what we now call social media marketing, influencer marketing, all that. Didn't have that name back then. We were one of the first companies to do it. We were shooting all of our own content, shooting commercials, creating TV shows, like all kinds of stuff that now is self-evident. But back then, was like, what the hell are these guys doing? But it was exactly how we came out of nowhere to beat the competition, because there's always room for the best, and there's always a path to becoming the best. And so it's just a question of whether or not you walk that path. Now, another thing that we did was we hired people that had criminal records. So I have a belief. It doesn't matter who you are today. What matters is who do you want to become and what's the price you're willing to pay to get there. I looked at Lisa, my wife, and I said, well, if that's really true, then we shouldn't be afraid to hire ex-convicts. And so we put the word out on the street, as they say, that we would hire people even if they had felony convictions, or we'd consider them. And man, if you've ever been in the inner cities and you put something like that out, you're going to have people lined up around your building just to be interviewed. It was crazy. And let me tell you right now, if you ever get a chance to talk to a drug dealer, pull them aside, they'll have the best entrepreneurial advice you've ever heard. (laughs) No fucking joke. There was this one guy on the team, he was amazing. And he was like, Tom, no man, it's really simple. Let me just tell you, you just have to understand the what cars an undercover cop drives, and they try to mix it up by changing cars, but the state will only let them uh, buy certain types of cars, so they become pretty easy to identify. You can tell when they're switching shifts by when they switch cars. And then also, if you just understand the blind spots of the cameras that are pointing everywhere, you can actually deal even if there is a, a police station nearby. And I was like, shit, man. I'm like, you're a better entrepreneur than I am. And he was talking about how he deals with his guys. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, Like, you really know how to work with employees. You just don't think of it like that. I was like, if you understood that your business isn't selling drugs, your business is risk. You sell risk. You're willing to sell a product with a high degree of risk. Because let me tell you, one time, people showed up at his house with shotguns, tried to kick in the door, kill him, to take his money and his drugs. And I was like, as hard as building Quest has been, nobody has ever kicked the door in and tried to steal my protein powder. <laughs> so I was like, there's levels to this shit. So I was like, all right, listen, you guys have these amazing skill sets. You're amazing people. I used to call working with people in the inner cities as mining for astronauts. That they were some of the most incredible people. Like think of any distribution of human intelligence, excitement, personalities, all of it. It's all there in the inner cities. They're no different than anywhere else. But they've been given a mindset, a belief system that holds them back. Now they would wait in line and they wanted to get into these interviews. And There were so many of them, I had to start interviewing them two and three at a time. So I started asking a magic genie question. And the magic genie question goes like this. Hey, I know that looks like a water bottle, but it's actually a magic genie bottle. Magic genie is going to appear in a second. They're going to grant you one wish and one wish only. You can wish for anything you want except can't ask for more wishes, can't cure cancer, bring somebody back from the dead. It's got to be for you. I want to know what you want. I'm trying to align our selfish desires, which, by the way, is a very good life strategy. Whenever you can align your selfish desires with people, you're in business because you can always trust people to be selfish. So... I would ask that question. Now, I must have asked that question, I'm not joking, 300 times. What are the odds that I got the exact same answer every single time? Basically zero, right? Like, you just can't ask a group that large a single question and get the same answer. Now admittedly, they they were there for a job, so that sort of narrows it down. I told them things they couldn't ask for, that narrows it down more. But still, the answer that they gave did not make any sense. Who has a guess as to what they all wished for, every single one of them? Exactly that, one million dollars. Now, the first time I heard it, I thought, get the fuck out of here. I'm like, that's such a bad answer, but I didn't really think of it. Second time, person said it, I thought, that's so weird. That's what the first guy said, and it's a terrible answer. Third guy said it, and I thought my team was actually setting people up, or saying something out in the lobby that was like leading people to a million dollars. And I was like, you can't even buy a house in LA for a million dollars. Like, what are you doing? You could ask for a trillion dollars. You could ask for a money printing machine that printed money that would be accepted everywhere. Like, all of that made sense. And I was saying to my team, by the time I had heard it 50 times, I was like, why aren't they asking for an unimaginably large amount of money? And then I realized they were asking for an unimaginably large amount of money. To them, a million dollars was the absurd number. It was the, well, I'll never have a million dollars, so uh, just pick the biggest, craziest number I can think of. That changed my life forever and is the exact reason that I'm now doing impact theory. And this starts even before this. So when I was in college and trying to get extra credit, I'd been given an opportunity to get extra credit by mentoring a kid in the inner cities. Now, if you know... Uh, Los Angeles at all. There's a school called USC, and it is in the heart of the ghetto. It is in one of the worst areas in the nation. They've made movies about the area that this is in, Boys in the Hood. Anybody ever see that? That's literally set around this school. That's how bad this neighborhood is. And so they gave me one of the most problematic kids in one of the worst school districts on the planet. And I go to help them for eight weeks, and the kids just He's a mess. He's just freaking out. He won't do his homework. I'm only supposed to be there an hour a day. At the end of the hour, I'd tell him, Look, I got to go, man. Like, this is crazy. You're not doing your work. I, I just can't stay anymore. And he would start crying and he would beg me to stay. And so I'd stay and he'd end up getting me for two hours. Around week five, I realized this kid is trolling me. He knows that if he throws a fit the first hour and then begs, he'll get me for the second hour. And I thought, I'm actually kind of impressed. But at week six, I'd tell him, Look, I'm only coming for two more weeks. And he goes, nuclear. I have never seen a human being react like this ever in my life. Like, you wanna talk ugly cry, like those snot bubbles. He runs up to this guy three times the size, I'm not kidding, this kid was medicated, like, because he was hyperactive, so he's really, really small for his age. And he goes up to this kid three times the size and just hits him as hard as he can in the gut. I'm like, what, what is going on? I finally calm him down, keep in mind, I'm only 18 or 19 at this point, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I calm him down, I'm like, yo, is this because I said I was only coming for two more weeks? And he finally catches his breath enough to say yes. I said, all right, Rashawn, listen. If you will do your homework the second I get here, as long as I live in Los Angeles, I will help you with your homework. Is that fair? And he said yes. And that turned into an eight and a half year relationship. Now, the bad news to this story is I do not end up saving him from his zip code. If you want to be freaked out, And if you want to understand why I do what I do and why the message that I'm trying to impart today is so important, at least in America, the number one predictor of your success is your zip code. It is not your IQ. Your IQ, let this sink in, your IQ has less bearing on your future success than the neighborhood that you grow up in. Because the neighborhood you grow up in sets your mindset. And a shit mindset in a high-powered machine is still a shit mindset. And if you don't have your mindset right, if you don't have the right beliefs, values, identity, if you don't have those things in place, no matter how smart you are, chances are you will not escape. Because you lack the only belief that matters, that you can learn and get better. And if you don't believe that you can learn and get better, you will forever be stuck. So having that in my past, so unfortunately, I did not know, but Rashawn was being abused at home. By the time it was found out, they took him out of the home. They made me the guardian. I helped him get into foster care. And then he got moved farther and farther away. And this all happened at a time where I didn't have a growth mindset. So there was no way for me to pass on a growth mindset. And every time I've tried to look him up and get in touch with him, I see legal troubles. So I know I did not save him from that. But you flash forward at Quest, and I have a, out of my 3,000 employees, about 1,000 of them grew up hard like Rashawn did. And so I just see this cycle repeating. And I'm like, fuck this. Like, I cannot be a part of this. So I told people, look, Quest is Quest University. I will teach you anything you want to know. I will come in early, I will stay late, making protein bars is just part of your tuition. But I want to help you understand that if you change your mindset, you can do anything you want with your life. That drug dealer that I was telling you about earlier, he had originally applied for the job because he heard that there was a crazy white guy that would hire people with criminal convictions so he was gonna use me as a front for his drug money. And he was like, my parole officer, had to know that the money was coming somewhere, so I was just gonna take this job, work the line, and then sell drugs as my real job. But he was like, fuck man, if you're right and this is real, then maybe I can get out of the drug game, which he did, by the way, and raced through the company, starting as a minimum wage line worker. Nine months later, he's one of the executives in production. It was fucking insane to watch. Yeah. We had another kid who had never owned a laptop in his life. A year after joining Quest, ends up founding his own tech company because he asked us, hey, Will you help me learn technology? First we told him, sure, nights and weekends. Get competent enough that we'd give you an internship. He did it, we gave him an internship. Get good enough being an intern that we will give you a paying job, which we did. And then he rose up and then finally, he felt confident enough to go out and start his own thing. Now ironically, he actually didn't like it and ended up coming back and that's fine. Not everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. But the fact that his skill set got so good that he felt comfortable starting a company and that he was so good that we welcomed him back with open arms when he decided that wasn't for him. is incredible, this was a kid that had never, not only had he never had a laptop, he had been on trial for attempted murder, which by the way, he didn't commit, but if he, had, if he said who did, they were gonna kill his family. That's where these guys come from. And for them to make these kinds of crazy changes shows me anybody can do it, but you've gotta believe one fucking thing above all else. It does not matter who you are today. What matters is who you wanna become and the price you're willing to pay to get there. You're gonna to have to fucking break yourself in half. You're gonna to have to want it more than anybody else. You're gonna to have to outperform. You're gonna to have to become obsessed with the notion of being the best. You're gonna to have to look at yourself nakedly every day and stare at your inadequacies. You can't be afraid of that shit. You have to know who you really are. You have to know where you're at. You have to know the truth of your skill set. And it's easy to open yourself up to that when you believe you can change. I'm gonna answer your questions in a minute, but before we get to that, I want you guys to burn into your minds whatever life you imagine for yourself, the next time you think about it, I want you to allow yourself to believe that it's real, that you actually can walk that path, that you actually can cross that chasm. And how do I know? Because 15 years after my father-in-law said to me, how do you plan to take care of my daughter? I don't want you to marry her. I flew him to LA. And I gave him a tour of my 300,000 square foot facility with thousands of employees, making bars at $1.5 million a day. And I walked him around, and I said, Andreas, do you remember asking me how I would take care of your daughter? And he said, yes. And I said, how am I doing? (laughs) And he just started to cry. No matter what people think about you, no matter how many people have doubted you, it really is your path to walk. You really can become great. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It certainly wasn't easy for me. It was relentlessly facing my insecurities and my lack of skills and actually being dumb at things and making mistakes and constantly embarrassing myself. But eventually, I got so good, I couldn't be ignored. And that is the demand you should make of yourselves. All right, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Make some noise! Thank you, thank you. Thank you. You're doing Thank you. Thank
1: yeah,
0: you. yeah, Thank yeah. you. Thank, thank you. you. Well, uh, of course, of course. Thank you
1: so much. Absolutely. Thank you Mike. so much. Oh, Alright, thank you. Thank, thank you.
0: All right, let me I see. will, for sure. Alright. Woo. So, um, we have 17 minutes for you guys. This could be and probably is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for you to ask questions and pick the brains of this brilliant man. As Rob said earlier, just get in the fucking car. So I'm gonna, you're in. Good, so mic runners at the ready. We're gonna start off with Nathan here down the front,
1: please. Hello again, Tom. Hello. It's been two years. We had a hug and I want another one, okay? Not right now, but in a minute. Uh, I'm all down, I'm all down. Is this still, there we go, we're back in business. So, two years ago, I asked you how I could get 60 to 90 minutes in your diary to coach you. You gave me three pieces of advice. Add crushing value,
0: help you grow your community, and help you to understand how me being successful uh, contributes to your growth as well. I've started doing some of that. Now I want some more advice.
1: How else can I get 60 to 90 minutes in your diary to coach people like you? So I will, um, I'll answer this for everybody and it's going to be the same and it really does go back to what you were saying. So this is, and and I'm going to give a kind of cold answer to this because I know we have a room full of coaches and I don't want to bullshit anybody. Like the first half, I want to make you feel good. Now I want to kick the shit out of you so you know what's real. Um, So forgive me because at the end of this, I really need you guys to understand that Getting great at something is grueling, and so what kills most people from being successful, quite frankly, is boredom and endurance. People either get bored and they realize, Jesus, like this is what it's going to take, or they just can't keep up. They can't do it that hard, that all out every day, year after year after year after year. So, if you guys, if we have coaches in here that want to know, like, how do you go to somebody and start coaching them, you. The second you ask them a question, you have already lost. Because what you're telling me is you're making me think. Now, if you're making me think, I'm saying, well, I don't know you and I don't give a fuck. So it's like, I've already got my life, my system is working. So for somebody to cut through the veil of like, I don't care, like you have to already show me. Like if there are people in my community that are already on my radar, right? Like they've done so much shit. Like people just are telling me from all over the place, like, oh, this person are doing this, this person's doing that. And then When that person asks for something, I'm like, fuck, man, I want to do something for you. Like, you've killed it so much in my community. You've been so value-add. There have been people like we have this thing called Impact Theory University. And there are people in Impact Theory University that have been helping students so much that it gets reported back to me. And now I have fear of loss, right? I'm like, fuck, we don't want that person to quit because they're actually making it a better place to be. So that's somebody who, and whether they're doing it for this reason or not, I couldn't tell you, but that's somebody who's found, they have found something in my life. They, they identified without ever speaking to me about what I care about, what's valuable to me, and delivered so much value that I heard about them without them excuse me, raising their hand. So this is like um, a question that I got asked earlier was like, how do you become a great interviewer? And this sort of will answer that question as well. So when I was originally told Tom that the podcast game is played out, don't even bother, you're never gonna be able to break in, it's done, it's already set. Um, And I said, look, there's always room for the best. Then I actually had to go and become the best. And so what did that look like? That looked like doing an inhuman amount of research. I did so much research per guest that I knew people would sooner believe that I was just a naturally talented interviewer than to think that I would spend, while running a company, that I would spend 12 hours researching one person. Now, I can listen to a video at over two times the speed. So you can imagine, if I spend 12 hours on you, I'm actually taking in about 24 hours worth of content. I know your world's forward and back. I know the things you can talk well about, literally, not joking, better than you. And I know the way that you say things because people get in loops. So they'll say things in the exact same phraseology, everything. So when they came into my world, they were freaked out, man. I had people look at me. I had multiple people say the exact phrase, you know me better than my own mother. And when you get inside somebody's head like that, like it just creates this different dynamic, right? But it's when you understand, it's not like being impressive. It's leaving someone's jaw on the floor. If you want to get ahead, let this one sink in. If you want to get ahead, don't focus on being slick. Don't focus on the shortcut. Focus on being so fucking good at what you do that you leave people in awe. Because the real thing you want to do, right, the real secret is you want other people at this conference to come up and say to me, you know who you want coaching you, Tom, fuck. He's the guy, dude. Like, I want to be the guy. He's the guy that I look up to. That's, think of Tony Robbins. I'll shout out Tony Robbins right now. Tony's the man. Without Tony, uh, some of the key insights that made my life, I never would have had them. You get enough people like me coming out and saying, yeah, fuck, Tony's real, man. Do you guys remember when Me Too went after Tony? Just kind of blew over? Because fuck, Tony changed so many lives. There were so many people that were like, yeah, maybe that was dumb, but like, fuck, it's Tony. (laughs) So it's like, he's so good. He delivers results. It's like, since we're in the UK, I'll use a striker analogy. If you score goals, it doesn't fucking matter, right? You got to score goals. You score enough goals, people know who you are. So my thing is, especially in the age of social media, like, stop worrying about how you get awareness or anything like that, and, and just be so good that people come to you. Like, every second, every question you should be asking is something that gives you another skill that's going to allow, instead of growing your business, is going to grow your skill set, right? And that's the real thing. I want you guys to get obsessed with your skill set, man. I fucking obsess on that shit. And this is like, be careful who you take advice from, because I'm going to give you advice that kind of borders on mentally unhealthy, but it's really fucking effective. So that's the truth. Like, you've got to find something that you love so much that you're going to be way obsessed about it. Because if you're not just insanely obsessed, in fact, I, and I mean this seriously, if nobody has ever asked you to your face, Nick, are you okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> like, if you haven't had people say that, it means you're not going hard enough. You've got to be so fucking in this thing that, that literally people are worried about you. That, that is the level of, like, just in it and tenacity you have to have, period.
0: So Stephen Conway, and then we're going over to Perul. I thought it was you. I just couldn't quite Hi, Tom. see. Hello. Thank you very much. Thank Love you your much. show, by the way. Thank you, man. Uh, I feel like I'm
1: living your life like in, in uh, the current time, because I set up a dairy-free, low-sugar chocolate. Nice. That was featured on the UK's Shark Tank about six weeks ago. Congratulations. Thank you. But I, my life feels like I'm going from one disaster to another on a daily basis. And when you said, I'm there fixing a batch at midnight, two fucking AM with me. Oh yeah. Tears running down my fucking cheek. And it's
0: still like that now. So what was the moment that changed it all for you? Because, you know, hearing your disasters, Gives me hope.
1: Be, being an entrepreneur is exactly one thing. Putting out one fire after another. There, there's no homeostasis, right? So you're fighting for your life every day. And there are so many different areas for problems to come. As soon as you get the machine fixed, one of your suppliers is going to flake out. As soon as you deal with that, one of your employees is going to quit. Or you're going to find somebody stealing from you or whatever. Like, that, is, that is nonstop. You really do have to love the taste of blood to enjoy this game because you're going to get punched in the mouth over and over and over. And so for me, it's about connecting to something that matters. So that's why that Mother Teresa quote, no one will act for the many, but people will act for the one. You have to build a connection to a reason that means so much to you that you're going to fight through that. But I want to be clear, you're creating mythology in your own life. There's, I just promise, there's nothing in your life that's ever happened that's meaningful enough on its own. But there's going to be things like Rashan where I have decided, oh, shit, that's right. Like, I I didn't own that I failed Rashawn until I realized that it would be very powerful as a driver in impact theory for me to think about the consequences, both positive and negative, for winning or losing. I've done the losing, so I had to own that. Fuck, I really did fail him. And so then I was like, I'm going to start thinking about that. I'm going to show up the say, thing saying, there is a Rashan listening right now. And right now I have a chance. And I know what that looks like as it hits somebody's life. The former drug dealer, he pulled Lisa and I aside one time and he said, you don't fucking understand. You've given me, we were talking about communication skills and we gave him this idea to try with his daughter and he tried it. And over the course of like two months, his daughter went from about to be expelled from school, getting like D's and F's to getting straight fucking A's. And this guy was like, oh my God. And all we did was tell him, listen first. Just don't tell her off, just listen. Oh, why are you you angry? Why, Why aren't you doing your homework, whatever? And she felt listened to and heard for the first time, and he didn't yell at her like he normally does, and so she felt connected, like she could tell him the truth. And he said, you have changed the course of my family tree. That's when I was like, oh shit. Now you start like grabbing onto that stuff. You start grabbing those stories and fanning those flames and saying, I care about this shit. So when you're under there, fucking let the tears come. Who gives a shit? But I'm gonna fucking, I'll hold this machine together with my fucking tongue if I have to, like legitimately. And that's how I showed up. I would literally stand there before a piece of equipment like, all right, motherfucker, it's you versus me. And let me tell you, I'm fucking winning. But for real, I I can actually feel it in my body right now. I can recapture the sentiment of what it was like to be in that warehouse, to be either freezing fucking cold because we were there early and you can't fucking air condition. At least not when we first started. And you're just, you're in physical fucking misery. And I remember I still have video of this. I won't play it because you'd kill me. But I have video. This is like, I don't know, a couple days before Christmas. It's a Sunday. That time leading up to Christmas for my wife and I was like super fucking sacred. And I'm like, we have to go do some R&D batches at the facility, and it is going to be brutally cold. And so we're in there, and she's bundled to the nines. And I said something, you know, like, "Oh, you making batches, are you?" And she turns and faces the camera. She's like, "Uh huh." And so she was so angry about it, and like. There's just going to be those times you're so fucking annoyed and you're so fucking frustrated and you're just full of rage. And you've got to understand that's powerful. But you can't turn it at the situation. You have to turn it at that thing. Like, I'm going to fucking crush this thing. I always tell people, there's power in the dark side. You guys know David Goggins, yes? There's fucking power in the dark side. Don't lose your life to it. Don't spend too much time there. 80-20. 80% of your time on the beautiful shit. But 20% of the time, motherfucker, let me tell you right now, Right now, they did a test. Put your arm in a bucket of ice. Leave it until you cannot stand the pain anymore. Take it out. They get a baseline. Now, put your arm in again. And right when you get to the point where you can't take it anymore, I want you to yell, cuss, get angry, whatever you need to do but leave your fucking arm in. That intensity that we can all channel, it will come to your aid. Emotions have a reason. They are here for a reason. And if you're trying to get rid of some of the tools in the toolbox, you're making a mistake. Now, this is advanced class shit. It is a very dangerous technique. But if you don't understand how to leverage it and make it you against whatever in service of, right? It was me against that fucking machine in service of my mom. So at 2 a.m. on a fucking Friday night, cold and with bloody knuckles, I'm like, Mom, for you, I would fucking do anything. I did a a fire walk with Tony Robbins. Anybody done that? All right, that shit is crazy. And they spend like three hours basically saying, you're probably gonna die. (laughs) So your feet are gonna get burned off. You may never walk again. Literally, I was like, what are you guys doing? And I don't know if they were trying to like give us some stakes, but I had told myself. You know how many times I've said I would walk across fire from my wife? Being like, that's some sexy shit to say, right? (laughs) Baby, I love you so much. I'd walk across fire for you. And I was like, well, shit, this is my chance. So I'm like, no matter what he says, I'm walking across that fucking fire. And when you have that, and I'm walking towards it, and I'm getting like amped up, and I'm, getting, I'm letting that intensity and that ferocity, I literally walked across hot coals. It's crazy. The shit you can do when you can channel your energy, when you can change your state, when you understand your mind is here to serve you, man. Your mind is here to serve you. So when you're feeling negative shit, that's because you've let your mind run away from you. You've got to learn these processes. This is why my whole focus, I'm an entrepreneur, but if people are smart, they bring me in to talk about the individual, the person, the way to think. That's what I understand. That's why I went from the kid who laid in bed for fucking four and five hours a day every day. Think about that. Four and five hours a day, every day. This is my mid-twenties, not like when I was 14. In my mid-twenties, I was laying in bed four to five hours a day, every day, lazy, unmotivated, and now am able to work literally as much as I want without a feeling of overwhelm, building huge companies, changing my life entirely, because I realized if I took control of that process, if I took control of my thoughts, if I forced my thoughts in a positive direction, that that would hardwire. I could go deep into brain science. I will leave you with this. Learn about the fucking brain. You're in a VR simulation right now, I promise you. The VR simulation is your mind. Think about this. Light never reaches your brain. Sound never reaches your brain. Electrical, chemical signals reach your brain. And your brain then creates this sense. Now it does a good enough job that you don't bump into too much shit, but make no mistake, your brain's encased in total darkness. That's fucking freaky. Like if that doesn't hit you and you realize, whoa, if this thing is making its best guess, what is it getting wrong? What does it lie to me about? And how do I insert myself into that process to use it to my advantage? When you master that, you will own your own life.
0: All right. One more question, because I said we would. Parole. No no pressure, Parole. Hi, Tom. Last um, question. Yeah, thank you, for first of all, for an incredibly inspiring talk. Um, I help students get into Oxford and Cambridge. Um, and in this country... Um, Like you said, in in America, like the zip code or the postcode that you're in really determines your future. And there are so many talented, gifted students who just would never even think to apply to Oxford and Cambridge. The mindset isn't there. You know, they've never had that mindset. So what you said really inspired me. Um, What were the things that you did to get those employees from minimum wage to executive level? What was it that you inspired them with? How did you change their mindset?
1: So always, always, always knowledge. I start with explaining to them the way the brain works because if you can't get control of that process, then you're never gonna be able to get out from under the negativity that tells you you can't do it, right? So starting with the brain, number two, skill acquisition, helping them identify what skills they actually have to acquire to be good at that thing, that's huge. And then encouragement, just trying to help them both when they need a good job and then on the other side to hold them to a fucking standard. There's a reason that the military works, man. Military creates families out of people. You hold people to a high fucking standard. You show up for them. You play for them. I led by example. Those guys saw me. I I am a fucking workhorse. I will not be outworked. And so I was wearing a hairnet and lab coat and gloves all day. And I would take the hardest job. And I would do it while uplifting other people. And so when people saw that, like they wanted to work at my level. And then giving them hope of a better future and showing them that they didn't have to be trapped I used to take them out to dinner at a nice restaurant. For some of these guys, they'd never left their neighborhood. Think about that shit. It's so crazy. I would take them to Beverly Hills to see nice houses and eat at a fancy restaurant. And it just began to shift their perspective, right? You have to shift their perspective. They have to believe it's possible.
0: Thank you very much. And I've got one question from Liam. I know you said it was the
1: last question. If you guys, if he'll let me, I'll do like five more questions, but I'm going to do them speed round style. (laughs) You cool with that? If it's five
0: more questions, like the first three, we're going to be here all night. They're going to be fast. Uh, So five, quick fire. And by the way, the question has to be delivered. No preamble. Ten seconds or less. Hit us with the question. We're going to go to the guy in the back with the red shirt first. Wait for the mic. Who's next while we're waiting? Um, I'm just about to open a food facility. uh, London's first ever tempeh factory. Um, I just want to get some advice on what it's like making your own product, doing something that hasn't been done before and totally changing the industry.
1: Okay, so first and foremost, don't worry about the facility and all that. Make sure your product is so fucking good that people want it. So I cannot stress enough, make a product people want to buy. If you do that, everything else is logistics. Sophia.
0: Hi, Tom. Uh, What advice would you give to a soon-to-be graduate that's actually still running a business? So how do I balance the
1: two? Okay, so I don't believe in balance. And if you're about to graduate, my honest answer is go play. Right now is not the time to think about your business. Do not, as David Kelly says, do not prematurely optimize. You got a lot of life ahead of you and you wanna make sure that you're full of passion, that you know what things interest you the most. So um, if you already know this is your thing and you're so into it, you can't see straight, great. But for anybody else that's sort of in a similar boat, my answer to people that are really young is to go play. Go do unstructured play, go, Try a bunch of different things. See which ones really spark your fancy. Don't prematurely optimize. Thank you. For sure. All right, down here, and then we're gonna to go to the lady, Nikki in the middle, with a hand
0: in the air. Hi, Tom. Uh, you've, done, <laughs> you've done quite a, a very inspirational presentation. I loved it. I've followed your work for quite some time now. Uh, I work
1: closely with David Blaine and his consultants, and I would like to show you some magic before you leave, if Nick's okay with it, and if you're okay with it, be more than happy. Excellent, thank yeah. you. I am a, a big fan of David Blaine. Brilliant. All right, question, Nikki. There you go, darling.
0: Hi, massive fan of your work. Okay, I just want to know, if you didn't have a growth mindset at one point, at what specific point did that turn for you and you knew that you were never going to go back, you was only ever going to push forward no matter how hard it was?
1: You've asked the right question. This is the only time in my life anything like this ever happened. I was arguing with my business partners for an idea that was I knew wrong, but it was mine and I needed to win because I valued myself for being smart. And if I lost another argument, I was just gonna feel dumb again, so I needed to win. I argued and argued and argued, and they finally gave in. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing? I've told myself and everybody else I'm gonna get rich. I know this idea moves me away from that. So no judgment, what do I want in life? Do I wanna get rich or do I just wanna feel good about myself? And I realized that I do wanna get rich, and even if I were to give up on feeling good about myself, then I'm gonna slide towards depression, so that doesn't make any sense. And I realized there's a third option, which is to build my self-esteem around something anti-fragile. The only anti-fragile identity you can have is that of the learner. So I'm no longer gonna worry if an idea is mine, I am simply going to pride myself aggressively on learning. So I'll admit when I'm wrong fast, and then I'll put my energy behind the right idea. And I figured if I could actually feel good about myself for that, feeling good about myself, and being egotistical would always be pushing me in the right direction. Uh, Last question, yes.
0: Uh, Hi Tom, great talk. I'm a massive fan, talking to a hero, really unbelievable. Um, I've got a question about the law of attraction. I know you're not a big fan of it. It's something that I'm personally on the fence on and not sure what to really believe in. Want to know your thoughts on it, and if there's anything that could convince you that it's a real phenomenon.
1: Yeah, so I mean sure, if there was um, evidence then I would believe it. I don't have any philosophical problem with it. Um, you know, as the learner, I'm always open to learning. But here's the reason I don't believe in it. It's total bullshit. So, <laughs> and, and and I mean, look, I, I'm just trying to be speedy here. But like, thinking about shit does one thing. It hardwires thoughts in your mind. So that's it. So thinking is powerful, but it's only powerful in one specific way. Beyond that, the world is changed through action. Now, action led by thoughts, which is why the secret caught on, because if you're thinking positive things, they're setting you up for something good. And then as long as you take that and go act... Now you're winning, right? So the part of the secret where it breaks down and becomes stupid is where it's like, I'm driving in a parking lot and I'm thinking about getting a spot nearby and then a spot appears and it appeared because I thought of it. No, that that doesn't make any fucking sense, right? So like literally imagine, imagine for a second that just as an experiment, I buy every parking spot out and I put cars there and they're all there. Could you think for one of them to move? No, right? So the other thing was just probability. Someone's gonna come out at some point and I'm gonna to choose to see that, oh, look, see, I thought of it and it happened. Fuck that, like, now you're just waiting. Understand, thoughts are powerful, they motivate you to take action, and you, like, if you wanna take it all the way, you go, I'm going to, like, find out, I'm gonna get, get a connection with, our version would be the DMV, so I can find out whose license plates what, I'm gonna know what they look like, I'm gonna go into the store, grab that fucker by the shirt, drag him out, make him move his car. That's impressive. <laughs> Everyone, you'd be like, look, I can get that spot every time. 10 minutes later, you drag the fucker out, and you get it, we'd all be like, hot damn, that's amazing. So the action part, that's the guarantee, man. The thinking is just, it's, you have to think in the right way. That is so, so true, because if you don't believe you can do anything, then you won't do anything. But the belief is fundamentally inert. Only action matters. Thank you guys so much. Ladies and gentlemen. Wonderful. Please join me in thanking Tom thank Billion! Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Okay, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to Empire Builders. Please subscribe. Leave us a review on Apple, on Spotify, on other platforms. And uh, share the love. Tell your friends. Remember till next time, the more you connect, the more you collect.